Greg on to kind of talk to him about what he sees happen so far six months into the year and uh, also wanted to pick his brain a little bit on what he sees from uh, the buyers that he talks with uh, when it starts talking about uh, trade wars and, and the just the overall uncertainty in the marketplace. So Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be back, Casey. Man, it's always a pleasure to have you on. You're wealth of knowledge, man. So um, kind of give me your your rundown of what you've seen happen so far the first half of the year and, and if it was better or worse than what you expected? Well, I would say maybe a little better than I would have, would have expected, Casey. Kind of drags back to uh, what we saw start to happen the first week of November. And uh, I think just a lot of pent-up demand on the buyer side with good condition used. Uh, but we've been watching the, the AEM numbers climbing too, uh, tractors and combines a little bit, so it's interesting to me to follow that. Um, Normally, what we see at auction, we get about to about St. Patty's Day, and auction pricings, it's always, historically, it's felt like it kind of runs out of gas, taking out so many buyers from the end of the previous year up through pre-plant. This year, didn't really see that. Um, the only thing that's happened, I would say, Casey, is in June here, uh, we, we've begun to see the same split become more pronounced that we saw last year based on condition of equipment. The good stuff, even though the commodity prices are, you know, all this negative uh, movement there, uh, the good stuff, there's still strong demand and pricing is holding pretty steady. But if, if the equipment isn't quite right or if it's average, um, then we're seeing some softening. So that's kind of what I've, the latest, what I've been seeing. Yeah. Okay. So let's, the one thing I've been tracking, I've been not trying to pay a lot of attention to it was when you have a we've had some uncertainty in the marketplace, but it's like foreseeable uncertainty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you, yeah. you could kind of see the slip through 2013, 14, 15, all the way down to where we're at now. Right. You could see that come, right? So that wasn't, that shouldn't have been a big surprise. You, you should have been right. able to see that coming. I mean, it was, is what it, that was where that's at now. But today right. when you take a look at the uncertainty that's, that's there now, I mean, it's one day we're China's best friend. The next day we're mortal enemies and, and, there's right. now we're kind of at that point now where they've just kind of stopped talking and no one's really making any moves um, one way or the other. Right. What well, your travels and the stuff that you've been around since they've, the tariffs have gone into effect. Um, what, what's your sentiment? What are you hearing from folks out there and, and what do you uh, kind of, what are you gathering from, from all that we see happening here? Well, I think honestly, they might write books about this period years from now. Because like you say, business from a business standpoint, whether you're a farmer, equipment dealer, any business you're in, uncertainty is not your friend. Uncertainty makes us freeze and sit and wait. And it's been fascinating this year as the as the China trade war tariff stuff has blown up initially, which was back first week of April, uh, when we started going back and forth. China came back and said, we'll give you 25% hits on these products, soybeans, of course, all the farm products. Uh, I thought we might see a little instant reaction on the auction market, but we really didn't. Um, again, good condition, used equipment held very steady. 
And when I travel the country with all the filming we do, auctions we go to, um, it was interesting, Casey, the farmers verbalizing were, were basically saying they were, they felt like they understood where the president was coming from and that he's at heart a negotiator. And to negotiate, sometimes you have to do confrontational things. In fact, to the point where last Thursday, when I, we were filming at Sullivan's auction, a big consignment sale down in Hamilton, Illinois, I was getting ready to leave. And a guy from Missouri came up, a farmer, and he literally just grabbed me and he wanted to talk. And we got talking politics. And usually when we talk politics, I just kind of listen. Right. <laughs> Right. I'm, kind of, I'm kind of a centrist, uh, conservative financially. But it was interesting. He asked me, he said, Pete, have you read The Art of the Deal? And I was like, no, I really want to, but I haven't read it yet. And he goes, oh, my God, you have to read this book. And then I just, you know, kind of listened. And and he went on to talk about soybeans and, and how everything was going to work itself out. Um, and hopefully it will. But my sense just this last week is that we're getting close to more reality with this. And I think more people are starting to uh, just chew on the consequences. And I don't know, I, you know, the statement trade wars are easy to win. I guess I don't think that's true, but um, I think you're starting to see things like <laughs> Harley Davidson, the perfect example, not ag related, yep. but they would have seemed to have been a company strongly uh, on board with the efforts um, you could say they bailed but from a straight business standpoint, their product just went up 2,200 bucks trying to sell it to a European customer. And they said, no, thanks. Yeah. So when you negotiate, I think it's when you negotiate for yourself is one thing. I think when you negotiate and there's tons of moving pieces behind you, it, it gets a little problematic and all this is, will will play out here in the next weeks and months. But my sense is that things it might be a little pullback mentally about, you know, where we're at here. And then you're talking about on the used market, buying an asset, a hundred, 200, $250,000, any little bit of pullback, you know, that's not good for a seller. Right. Right. So the sold and sell, I watched it on the internet. Yep. Um, and some of the stuff kind of jumped up at me and said, Oh man, that's, that's awful. Well, we had some pieces that we had on there. Um, but after talking to him and kind of get a feel for what it was, it might not have been some of the best best stuff out there. Is that a fair statement from what you saw? Uh, I think that was sort of the sentiment. Um, so it was really an interesting test case because Sullivan, you know, being an absolute auction in this particular sale uh, in June, which again, historically is a little bit softer time of year for auction pricing, I've always thought. And now you have a sale where you have a fair amount of equipment from dealers around the country that aren't local. Right. You've brought stuff and Sullivan's, you've had stuff there before. So the customers there in West Central Illinois, Southeast Iowa, they kind of know about 21st century. Um, but there was stuff from the river out on the East Coast. There was stuff, uh, you guys out West, uh, kind of all over the place. And I, I think if you look strictly at the numbers, the combines were a little down. But, you know, I, I think within the range of maybe what we were expecting, I think looking at the amount that was for sale mm-hmm. of those combines, and I think you know, they were maybe under average by 15, 20K or whatever. We'd hope for more as a seller, but I think in that absolute situation, 
did all right. And I, I think the equipment that was there from local farmers, um, and if you got, if you stayed under hundred K, those two things, I think that equipment sold about pretty strongly where we had been seeing it. Yeah. So are the inventories that you see out there right now of all the equipment that you see out on your website and all the other places that you're going, mm-hmm. do you feel like the overall uh, amount of equipment that we see on the marketplace has come down, stayed the same, or maybe leveled out a little bit? Well, I think it depends on what we compare to. Um, if we're talking 14, 15, early 16, we'd be we'd be down better. But uh, yeah, I think kind of just leveled off. Prices, it seems to me like, you know, you and I have talked about the soft bottom in the market. Uh, you know, finding that footing, will it hold? We've stretched that out now to me, uh, going back to the start of 16. Um, and inventory, uh, one thing we're, we are picking up a little bit more of inventory pressure, uh, a little bit on the lower horse side now. Um, you know, whether that's lease returns, whatever. Um, sales activity has been pretty good. I think new end use pricing is doing well, but we've just heard more dealers talking about starting to look ahead six, nine, 12 months and being a little more worried about the buildup. Um, so we'll see on that front. But um, I think given the number of auctions there have been the last nine months, I think uh, inventory situation is better. I mean, it could have been uh, been really problematic, I think, given all these auctions we've seen. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I would agree with that. Um, I, I feel like that there's kind of to your point, I've watched your show a few times here over, over the last uh, couple of months and, and have noticed um, a lot of people kind of talk about the lack of good, clean, low-houred stuff, you know. Right. And one thing that I noticed, and I'll pick on planners because it's probably the easiest one to, to pinpoint, but right. like right now, used planners, there's hardly any used planners out on the market. There's just not that many of them, right? right. Um, especially like the newer, like 15, 16, 17 model stuff, there's not a lot of those out there to be had right. um, because there weren't that many new ones produced, right? Right. What I'm seeing now, a trend is, you know, 14 and 15, those uh, auctions that happened out there, there was a lot of, of planter being sold there. I mean, we sold, if there was one combine and, and one tractor, there were probably 10 or 15 planters being sold at every auction. They're just everywhere. Right. One thing I pointed out to Aaron Fennell when we were talking about the other day was some of those were one and two year old planters that got sold and they had, you know, a season of use on them, five, 7,000 acres, something like that. Right. And what people don't want to put into perception here is, each one of those planters went back out again from 14 through 18 now and have had 5,000 or so acres put on them for every year. And now you're looking at something out there that's got 25,000 acres on it, 20,000 right. acres, 30,000 acres. Right. Um, I've been looking at a lot of planters that have those kind of acres on them. And you're, you're to the point where you've gotten the good out of the planter. Now you're really starting to look at how much do you want to recondition it? How much, right. how much more parts you want to put back into it? What's it worth? You know, one thing right. I will say is that those planters that those guys bought for forty or fifty thousand bucks back in fourteen, a lot of those same planters are coming across, uh, rolling across the desk now, and they're, they're bringing back the same amount of money. You yeah. Know? Um, so, were you seeing something similar to that? I mean, that's kind of what my my whole question. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that to me makes me think of the you know how important timing is. Yep. 
So when I, this was back in 1415, I was messaging to the farm audience, like, I know you guys don't feel like buying anything right now, but you really should because, you know, the theory of opposites, now is the time to buy. So you know, those folks, like you say, got those deals on those planners. I think right now, kind of echoing what you're saying, Casey, is we're seeing a lot of interest in that one, two, three-year-old stuff. Right. Okay. To the point where I actually wrote a blog about it for AgWeb. I can't remember what it was that came across my desk. There were two items on the same day on farm auctions. One might have been a skid steer, like a 15-model bobcat, and then I think the other one was a tractor. It was a, well, it was a deer. It was a 6150R or 6155R. Mm-hmm. Came through, and we looked at the auction price, and it was the highest or second highest. When you're out there listening to the farmer, they'll kind of what they're saying is. Like you said, it's hard to find a two-year-old uh, like new tractor or planner. Um, and when they show up and the tractor, if it's got warranty, um, it just kind of pops. Yep. So, you know, farmers are thinking, well, I'll buy this two-year-old one and I'll save money. But that's the fascinating thing about the auction is if you get five people thinking the same way, guess what happens? They all, they all bid it up and it winds up going for, you know, towards the top of the, of the price. Mm-hmm. Whereas back a few years ago when no one felt like buying and you had a two-year-old item, you know, that was your buying opportunity right there. Yep. And, and that's what I, the auctions that I've watched and those good, you can tell when a machine is a good clean piece by just watching what how people bid on it. Right. Know, there's a lot of the stuff that I watch bid and I watch it go and I, to your point, you know, five guys show up thinking they're going to get it cheap and they really want that piece. The next thing you know, they pay 10 grand more than the local dealer has for it. Same thing set right. on their lot. Yeah, it's head, head scratching stuff a lot of times. Uh, I keep in the stuff, the blogs I do in the videos, I keep pointing people back to the equipment listings, the dealer listings on machinerypeat.com and say, well, an example would be that on the Sullivan auction last Thursday, that HX15 Batwing that brought 15K, mm-hmm. uh, third highest one I've ever seen. It was super nice, local farmer, but I had people coming up to me afterwards and like, hey, I can go down the street and buy it for that. Totally true. Now, um, yeah, just a bit, like I say, covering this stuff is, is fascinating. Yeah. So on the uh, the retirement end of the business, are you seeing more more or less retirement sales than you've than you've seen in the past couple of years? It's I think it's elevated. In fact, I was just I was back here in the office in Rochester the other day after traveling quite a bit, and I was catching up and just looking here at the end of June. I think it was yesterday I was going through and, you know, three, four nice farm auctions. And June is not historically a busy time. But I think it just carries over. I mean, I think uh, the second half of 17 and then the first half of 18, well, if I would, I'm trying to guess, I don't like guesstimating the percent increase in the number of auctions. I don't have any real data right in front of me at the moment, but it's been a pretty big uptick. A lot of farmers, um, you know, just retiring, stop the equity drain. But then we're also, unfortunately, seeing a lot of stress sales. And over the 28 years I've been doing this, normally when you see a pretty good uptick in the number of stressed auctions or bank forced sales, mm-hmm. um, pricing has historically been kind of weak. But even in this environment, even in dairy areas, which really feel in the pain, the pricing to me, still if it's good condition, has been holding up. I think that it's a good thing for the whole market in general. 
and I think it ties back to the footing that we we've been talking about. Um, whereas two three years ago, if we would have had this huge level of increase in sales with the excess with the higher inventory on the dealer level and fewer people feeling like buying in general, that would have been no good. So speaking of dairies, um, the Forge Harvester Marketplace, have you seen, have you watched many of those go across the auction blocks? I've been trying to find some to, to do some comparisons to, but I haven't yet to find any that, that have gone that way. But um, what's are your you trying to bring? Are you trying to bring the conversation down, Casey? <laughs> <laughs> it's easy, that easy that thing to is do the there. one most painful area that I that I see is self-propelled choppers. They're, they've always been tough. Yeah. But when we see them on a farm auction or on a, particularly on a wholesale auction, you almost kind of don't even want to look at the price. Um, and it, I always compare the, what it brings at auction versus the average dealer ad price. And that's kind of where we see the biggest gap is on the, on the choppers. Hopefully, you know, I'll be messaging on it soon. Just same deal just to tell folks, Hey, I understand things are brutal, you know, tough in this area, but Again, you've got a tremendous opportunity right now. Call your local dealer. You can get some great buys on choppers right now. Yeah, there's plenty. There's, I mean, like you said, that's the one thing that is the most, like the darkest part of this business right now is the, is the forge harvester business. When you, take, when you try to go out and try to have something comparable to it, it's just, there's just really nothing to compare them to that hasn't been on the lot for a long time someplace. Right. And it's, uh, I'm trying to remember what dealer we were interviewing and they were talking about deer on the green side, deer's new model chopper and the improvements it made and the situation that created with the one model series older being stuck on the lot, trying to get rid of them. And you know, that's, that has been the case over the years with combines or tractors or different things. But uh, yeah, I think I just feels to me like when they show up at a farm auction, you're just dealing with a smaller pool of buyers and it's just you know a lot of times the auctioneer will you try to bracket it so when you're selling it you'll say well give me one hundred fifty thousand. i would just kind of watch that number go down (laughs) what they try and you know if they do the research what they know it's going to bring and it's uh it's just tough to bring in a lot of extra buyers on those yep that's again there's an opportunity you can get get yourself a great chopper right now yeah there's some opportunities out there and i and i uh i feel for the the Forge Pro dealers out there, the, the, the true John Deere guys and right. even the Kloss guys and those kind. I mean, they're all, it's just a, it's a tough market right now. And it's a, it's a feast or famine business I found yeah. with the chopper business that when you start looking at dairies, because either they're, either they're making good money or they're not. There's yeah. usually, yeah, that's, there's never in between. It feels like. Accurate description. I would agree. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Row crop tractors there for a while. It kind of felt like some of the higher horsepower row crop tractors for a minute were were getting a little carried away uh, as far as inventory goes. And but I feel like that maybe has tapered off a little bit. What's your feeling for the for that three hundred plus horsepower row crop tractor tractor, and and how do you see that market playing out? Well, there's enough of them out there on the lot for sure. I mean, you could look at our website machinerypeat.com, and we always bracket and tell you how many of a certain model. And some of those numbers jump out at you. But uh, it's interesting. I, again, I, I, I like to try and correlate different data points. So one is the hard cash auction price, what's happening. Two is the, is the number of items on the dealer lot. And then the asking price, is that going up or down? Um, and the third is search traffic data. 
So search traffic data has been trending kind of up slightly, kind of across the board, a little bit softer with as you get higher horse. Um, but again, when we see that stuff come up at auction, if it's right, a couple years old, and you get over 10 years old and it's low hours, that stuff is really, uh, you know, nothing new there. It's, it's, uh, it just seems like the demand is getting a little stronger for that nice older stuff. Um, in fact, I, I threw something on Twitter the other day. I can't remember the dealer, but they had an 8310. So it's getting out even older. But this thing was just mint, low hours. And I, I, I posted on Twitter with a link and I go, well, this will be interesting. Just how many clicks are going to be on it? And within a couple hours, you've got 70, 80 clicks. Because you're like, oh my gosh, here's a whatever, a 17-year-old 10 series low hour. Ooh, I want that. Well, everybody wants that. And everybody clicks on it. Um, so again, the good condition stuff uh, still attracts a lot of eyeballs. I have a theory I want to bounce off of. You need to tell me what you think. Okay, fire away. All right, so I've I've made the argument a few times that if you put a 2011 uh, 9770 next to a 2012 S670, and assuming everything's the same, that the 2011 9770 would, would sell for more money. Do you, do you think that's crazy talk, or do you feel like there might be some truth to that? No, there's not some truth to that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. In fact, we saw that on an auction in Kansas. We filmed, uh, this would have been a year and a half ago. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't the 70 series. It was the 60 series, so 9670 and an S660. Okay. And the S660 wasn't quite specced out like the local guys wanted it, but the 9670 was. Mm -hmm. And you could tell just from eyeballing the bidding, that was hot and it was a very kind of trending towards a premium price. Whereas the S660 was, was kind of a dead horse. Um, and it, it's kind of, a, you could argue kind of overdone right now. In fact, I just, I did something for Ag Day this morning on a 9770. It was an 09 model, but it sold uh, yesterday. This was June 28th at the time we're taping this, but I think it was a crappy day for the market yesterday, right? Yep. Uh, so bad day, and here you got a farm auction with an 09 9770 with 1,902 engine hours on it. But it was like you said, it was one of those where everyone went, ooh, this thing is nice. Mm -hmm. And it, it brought 120,500 with no heads. So I had to go back 27 months in the U.S. to find an 09 model that high. Yeah. But when these slightly older ones show up and they're nice, yeah, there's there's real heat around them. That, that is, Yeah. The ones I watch sale that have uh, under fifteen hundred separator hours, which are getting to be hard to find now, but right. but you find those ones that have like you know I would even probably up to seventeen hundred, seventeen hundred to a thousand separator hours on them. Yep, it's surprising what those machines will bring comparatively to the same twelve right. or thirteen or fourteen model S six seventy. Comparatively, it's just. You know, yeah, you I think here we're, we're drifting in, and this is funny because I'm so old, been doing this for so long, but I've noticed this, and actually, I don't like to tell farmers what to do or suggest anything, but strictly from a data standpoint, over three decades of doing this, you could almost bracket and say from three to six or seven years old, that's, that's the best buy on the used market. Because I take that 12 model, that 13 model, I mean, outside of the machine itself, uh, where you're noting that softness right now, let's say you bought a really nice 12 or 13 model right now. And we're seeing this heat 
with the with the nines, tens, elevens, with the seventies field. Okay, in five years, guess what? That or three, four years, that twelve or thirteen model, that's going to be ten years old, mm-hmm. and that's going to be one model series older. And then if you have a low-hour one, guess what? That's what everybody's going to want. And that I've seen this. It's like waves that wash upon the ocean on the beach. Twenty-eight years of doing this, people always want that nice slightly older option because one, because it's cheaper. Two, it's been around longer. They have a little bit better feel for it. Uh, you probably have a little bit less of them on the dealer lot, I suppose. And it's just, I've seen it forever. And now if you know that, that's when you can start to work ahead, whether it's a forge chopper or a combine or a, you know, a 20, you know, 14, whatever tractor. It's a good buy right now. So again, call you guys, call the dealer and, you know, make yourself a good deal on it. Yeah. Another trend that I've started to notice a lot in the used equipment marketplace is, um, so basically all the manufacturers from about 2000 on, or 2012 and on, on the uh, four-wheel drive tractors where PTOs and three-points got to be a bigger deal. You know, three-point tractors, uh, row crop four-wheel drive, stuff like that in like Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana, those have always had that kind of a three-point presence. It's always kind of been there. But right. as you start looking across places where the bareback tractor was kind of a staple, um, you start to see a lot more machines that have three-point PTOs on there. Um, I'm I'm really kind of to the point now where you start looking at a bareback tractor and you kind of start wondering um, how, if, that's a, if that's becoming an obsolete machine. What's your feel about that, and, and what are you seeing in your travels? Well, uh, one thing I would say to that question is I've noticed smart auction companies beginning to change the messaging on that four wheel drive tractor on their sale. So they're taking the three, I mean, they're bringing that right to the front. Uh, it's got PTO and some of it's done with, video, you know, preview videos because um, they're smart. They know their audience. So you're right. It is more in demand. There's a premium for it. Um, as it pertains to the bareback, um, I don't know. That's a good question to see, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, what the value will be. But, um, I mean, that's all part of it. When, when there's that real buyer demand for whatever, uh, it's three point PTO, that's what people want. That's where the dollars are going to tend to flow for sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of that drive, and just my opinion here, of that the four-wheel drive having more three-point and PTO options um, when they're when they're bought new I think a lot of it is one the price of machinery is getting pretty expensive and if you get a, a row crop set up on your four-wheel drive that you can plant with and till with and and do all the other stuff with that's awesome but you know you can also run your grain cart with it too and I think that's to me I feel like that's a a big a big driver and why those options have become popular. Right. Well, I think one of the truths in the market, the last, I would say 12 months for sure, that's becoming more clear is that I think farmers as a whole, they're just looking for more efficiency. Um, you know, dollars are tight. So I, I, that's probably exactly what you've been sensing there is if they, if, if that's, it could be more versatile then that's again, they're, they're going to flow the money that way, which, and again, that's what I've always loved about the hard cash auction pricing. It's brutal sometimes because we don't like, you know, at certain points what we see there, but it tells you what people are thinking every day. Yeah. 
Yep. So one last question, Greg, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. So earlier I was going to actually ask you this question, but we got off onto a different topic right away, so I want to bounce back to it. But you're talking about smaller horsepower tractors that were starting to be a starting to see a, a rise in inventory levels across the um, platform. Mm-hmm. Are you talking under 100 horsepower or 150 or, or kind of what's that horsepower range that you're no, seeing? I would say a little north of 100. Okay. A little bit um, into that 130-ish maybe. One thing we've been seeing is it's jumped out at us when we're filming is if you get lower uh, horsepower, and I forget, you know, the John Deere like 1025R would be the example. That's the one where we've been filming for U.S. Farm Report. I think it's literally four or five dealers unprompted. We're just walking the lot, filming and chatting with them. And, and they just said, well, we, you can't believe how many of those things we've sold. We were in Wisconsin, I think Frontier Ag and Turf a couple weeks ago. And one of their sales guys said, I don't know where these buyers come from. I, you know, we know our market, but we don't, we just can't fathom it. Now they're on the edge of the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Economy's been good. Unemployment's like in Minnesota, it's like 3%. Um, stock market has been pretty good. Uh, people getting a bump, you know, working in the city might have some acreage and they're just coming in off the street buying these things. And on the used market, the under 50 horse at auction, we've had a lot of examples. I think you and I have talked about a few of them that, uh, you know, I think of one, uh, set a record on that, uh, AMA auction out in uh, brush Colorado, our friends there with auctioneers millers and associates they had a 3320 deer that uh i can't remember the exact number it was like 25k but i was on a wholesale consignment auction set a record highest price we've seen so that demand on the smaller stuff is still, still pretty good i think yeah those use small tractors when they for us when we get them in uh under 50 horsepower bigger you know in that kind of range at 50 horsepower and less range i don't think they even sell them a lot for more than a a few weeks before someone right. either someone they have someone in mind when they trade it in or they've got someone to drive by that sees it so that's a very hot market a very hot market across the whole country everyone i talk to that's kind of the saving grace for a few years now that that whole market segment i could ask a you one question casey just okay. uh turn it around but out west there the, the uh, demand for new planners what are you what are you seeing there are you seeing Increased interest here in the last uh, three, four months of 18, looking ahead? Yeah, I, I, I've said a few times, I think a lot, I think a lot of guys are, are upgrading because they have to, not because they want to, kind of back to my previous statement on that. The number of acres they're starting to see on these planters now. Um, we, we did last year, was uh, we sold more planters last year than we did the, um, in quite a while, and, and this year we're going to probably be fairly close to that same number. Um, the interest is there, um, you know, with it. With you know being a deer dealer, the exact emerge technology is something that has got a lot of people's um, interest perked up, and you know agronomically, you, you can see you can see it had how it will pay off. Are you seeing and hearing as customers see their neighbors the results they get with their new planner? Is it growing from the visual evidence that they see the improvement? Yeah, I had a guy at the Illinois sale last week tell me that he goes. Because I was on my neighbor's farm, and my, I, I gotta, get, I gotta get one. Yeah, yeah. When you take a guy out, like we have test plots that we, that we did this year with him. We had several places we went out and planted um, various uh, tests. Where, like for example, the farmer used his planter, and then on one half the field, and then 
the uh, use the the exact merge on the other half of the field, just so you could have a stand for stand next to each other. Right. You know how it was, and it was a lot of these guys were just mind blown at, at how good the the emergence was and, and how good the stand was and how great the simulation was at you know eight nine miles an hour yeah that that's what i've been hearing too and i you know i'm just curious from the dealer different parts of the country what you're seeing on the demand side there our demand i mean if we had if we had more used ones we could probably sell more used ones but we don't we don't have one there they're expensive and but the long day at the end of the day greg i'll tell you um when those planters first came out, the the selling point was, hey, these these machines can go ten mile or eight nine miles an hour in the field while you're planting, right. and oh, and it will increase these other agronomic parts of your stuff. But it was the selling point was how fast you go out and plant your field, you know, and and now that's kind of flipped. You know, the the speed part of it is kind of the secondary or even tertiary um, selling point of that machine. It's now you're talking about you know stand and and emergence and singulation and so on and so forth right. and, and oh and by the way you can go real fast too i mean that's kind of right. that's kind of how it's flipped so yeah, yeah there, there's by a lot the way, of for it and you did say you wished you had more use can i can i quote you can i hold that quote from you yeah. you wish you had more used <laughs> more used is that to merge planters <laughs> yes the <laughs> caveat that <laughs> yes but yeah i know we have i think we've got one or two that we've had and and we kind of limited the sell on those just because of you know, we needed to use them to go out right. and plant what we need to plant. So, right. um, they are for sale now, but, um, I feel like that's going to be a, a pretty big, you know, people talk about the price of planters now and, and how expensive they've gotten, but I'm going to be honest with you. If you get an extra seven, eight or nine or even 10 bushels out of your, out of each acre, that, right. that doesn't take long to make that difference up on that planter. Okay, now let me ask you again here uh, and flip this around to you, Casey, but the rest of 18, do you think we're going to be in the same boat needing that uh, yield bump at the end of the year to sustain the used market? Or do you think we've got enough built up? With, well, and again, we have so many question marks with the trade stuff we talked about, but what's your gut telling you? Um, I'm still in the camp that guys are going to be, are, they're, they're going to be forced to trade or forced to buy a lot of parking service. I think they've just they've ran their machines now. If if no one's if no one has traded their piece of equipment in since twenty thirteen and that's kinda when I marked the downturn to start is in thirteen and yep. as it rolls through. Um, it, it's it's either they're gonna have to trade their unit off or they're going to have to spend some significant amount of money. If they haven't already done so, you know what I mean? Right. Which if, if they've done that and they've spent that, that large amount of money on that piece of equipment now they're forced with, well, do I go ahead and run it and try to get the good out of what I had, or do I trade it now? I mean, they're really right. these guys are stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to it because their bankers telling them one thing and they need a line of credit to do this, that, and the other thing. Right. Um, but the same hand, they need to be efficient in the field and not have failures to where they're going to be put behind the eight ball when it comes to planting windows or harvest windows or whatever it is, you know. Yep, and that's kind of my feeling is that I'm pretty I'm pretty bullish about the market going through the end of the year. Um, obviously, it's going to revolve around what happens with commodity prices, but right. um, I, I just still think they're going to be because they have to, not because they want to camp when it comes right. to buying equipment. Well, I think from where I'm sitting, the the strength we've seen from St. Patrick's Day 
into late June, when again, usually a historically very weak period for auction pricing, um, that it's held as strong as it has, to me, I, I find very uh, telling about where we're at right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, I think, I think going through the end of the year, barring just some crazy calamity of some epic proportion, I mean, I feel like we're going to be kind of heading out of the of the mix. Now, if this trade thing happens and it just goes on and drags on and drags on and drags on and we've got, right. you know, $8 beans and under $3 corn and, you know, right. three under $3 wheat, then yes, we're going to have a big problem there. It's an X factor. We need we need more Kansas common sense uh, <laughs> in Washington to help us figure out these issues. So I hope you guys can get her done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we hopefully we can get something figured out. But I, I just think that it's I, I don't believe that this is going to be a long term thing. I think this is a this is a short term thing. And I think by the time um, harvest rolls around, you know, and this is me, I'll be an optimist here. By the time fall harvest rolls around, that we've got something figured out. Because regardless of what happens. I don't care where China goes and buys their beans from, they have to buy them from us. You know, they they might not buy as many from us as they have in the past, but they still have to buy beans from us. And that that's going to be an X factor. And we saw earlier in the markets where when some of that, uh, when was that? A week ago Tuesday, two weeks ago Tuesday, something like that, soybeans took a big hit and they hit like 896 and there's a lot of uh, international buying in it. You know, China was buying that stuff because it was cheap. Right. Yeah, they're they're raw numbers. The data works in in the argument, like you say. Yeah. The, the only if you really want to go black swan, the only thing I worry about is with all their uh, money, with some of these uh, South American countries floating around in the in the crappy uh, state they are, both culturally and and governmental wise. You know, what's to stop China from just sinking a ton of money into Brazil or Venezuela and just sort of buying it? Yeah. The con- yeah, I mean, uh, maybe that's too crazy, but I, I hope nothing like that ever. You know, we don't want to go down that road. I don't think. Well, that's the ultimate X factor. I mean, we start looking at, at commodity prices. I mean, when countries like Brazil and Argentina and and you know Venezuela and different places like that have the same have an infrastructure that allows them to rapidly get crop from the field to the port, um, that's when things will start changing. You know, and that's that's when the production levels will be higher and they can do a lot more things than what they're doing, you know, and, and what's that all look like and how's that all work and so on and so forth. But, and that, that won't, that'll take years to develop, you know, it's not right. going to take, you know, a one summer to get all that to go. It's going to take decades to make that work just because of the sheer right. volume of what they have to do. But once that happens, then all of a sudden it truly is a world market. Then, you know, right. we're blessed in the U S to have a major river run right through our, uh, our highest producing agricultural area that runs right to the right. to the Gulf of Mexico, where there's easy access to the whole world from that point. Right. Yeah, I never I never thought 28 years ago when I started covering the market from my angle that I'd whatever write about what's happening in China and Brazil and yeah. as it pertains to used equipment values. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a small world these days. Yep, it definitely is. Definitely is. Well, Greg, I feel like we've covered it for this one, so uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, you bet. Okay, man. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Greg for being a guest on this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. Greg, if guys want to get in touch with you, 
you're on uh, obviously machinerypeat.com and then you're all over the uh, the Twitterverse and Facebook and, and Instagram. So what's your handles on those platforms? Yeah, I just basically type in machinery Pete, folks. If you're on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, or hanging out at our website, machinerypeat.com, it's uh that's where you can find me and uh you know, all the dealers out there, thank you for all your cooperation and support. We really uh we really appreciate it. Well, that's that's great, Greg. I really appreciate you being on the show. So um if you want to find my podcast, you can find that on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. You'll find us here. Move.